Welcome to Manager Tools. Rules of Small Project Management. Chapter one, Deliverables Basics. Part two, this cast answers these questions. What are some simple project management guidelines? How can I manage small projects effectively? How can I teach my team how to manage small projects? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Folks, if you live in the greater Washington, D.C. area, or even as far north as New York uh, or Philly, uh, come to our Dulles Conference, Washington, D.C., March 10th and 11th. We're going to be doing our Effective Manager Conference and our Effective Communicator Conference. Manager on on the 10th and Communicator on the 11th. Uh, keep in mind, we have been selling out conferences in the latter half of last, latter half of last year. We sold out about 50% of our conferences. We've had people ask us, can I be on a wait list? So if you want to come, sign up soon. See you there. Mark, we started our conversation last week about small project management, talking about the direct creating the deliverables list. And it's one of those, wait, there's more. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the next item on our list. No plural deliverables. And actually, I was a little bit surprised when I was reading the show notes because I thought I knew for sure what that meant. And it means more than I thought. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I missed some of it. Yeah. I thought it specifically meant uh, no deliverables where two people owned it, right? Which is a common mistake people make. Okay. Like there's two yeah. people working on something and it's owed, but it's not clear who is on the hook. Um, and if two people are on the hook, nobody's on the hook. So, but there's more to it than that. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, the whole point of deliverables and even tasks, if you want to call them tasks, not that we would, but we understand why people do, uh, is the issue of ownership. And of course, the, when it comes to project management guidance, folks, if you haven't listened to our uh, Hall of Fame cast, um, Horseman's Law of Project Management, Who Does What by When, um, in fact, Mike, Wendy, and I were just in a conversation this morning figuring out steps to take and so on. And I, I said, she says, well, we could get some different project management software. I said, we don't need different project management software. We need people to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. I mean, I you you can make your your software as sexy as you want and beat people over the head, but we're adults and human beings, and we're you know we're tired and we straggle after ripe blackberries, and so we say, "Nah, I'm not going to do that today." And there's no software who will do the task for you. But most people don't know that about tasks, and then think of things that need to be done, and so. There are tasks like meet to discuss X. <laughs> well, yeah, who's, you know, that gets into who's going to schedule the meeting and you know, all, all kinds of things. So the way I say it in the field is when I'm talking to a manager who says, hey, look, I want to help one of my young people, one of my individual contributors, or maybe even a fairly new manager really get the hang of what I call operational project management. I'm not talking strategic project management. I'm not talking global project management with all kinds of three-dimensional websites and all kinds of tracking, budgeting, and dependencies and critical path and uh, you know all that stuff. Uh, that that that's sexy and cool, but it's not what most of us have to deal with. In fact, I would argue that it's not in terms of budget, but in terms of man hours. It's probably only 10% of the world's projects. The vast majority of the world's projects happen in 
you know, tasks of a hundred or 200 or, or 500. Um, so what, what I say to them in the field is when you're asking somebody to take over a, a project where, you know, they create the first list of deliverables. And when you're reviewing it, the single biggest mistake that we see in tasks is uh, I say, review all of their tasks for, for plurality. If there's an and in the task, it's bad. If there's an also in the task, it's bad. I promise you. And if you see and or also and you don't think it's bad, you're the problem. No offense. You're not really a problem. Um, also, the word to, T-O-O, same thing. There are problems with all those deliverables. Even if the object of the actions is plural, there's a problem. If something to ha has to be delivered to two people, it's a problem. So what you need to do is edit one or two of the tasks to show them how to make it singular. Usually that means a simple fix, breaking one task or deliverable into multiple units. What's great about that is you split a task that's multiple up into singular. It actually takes less time than plural tasks. And we, we stand by our assertion for which we have data that when projects start to go green, they tend to stay green. It's like Newton's first law, you know. An, an object in motion. Yeah, object in motion tends to stay in motion, and an object at rest tends to stay at rest. And if a project's red, it's not Sisyphean, but uh, or Sisyphean, but it's close to get it off of red. Uh, and, and it ain't software that's going to do it, by the way. Right. Well, this example, loading too much into a task, is, in my mind, a classic, classic mistake of trying to be efficient at the cost of effectiveness, right? So it's, yeah, yeah if, I, if I load up this one task, I only have to write one task. I only have to enter one task in the project management system, but it is at the cost of effectiveness. But if you then look at the task, if you're not the person that has to do that task, and you look at the task and say, well, that's like 10 steps. That's going to take me 35, 40 minutes. I don't have 35, 40 minutes. I'll do that tomorrow. In fact, the smaller the task, the more likely people are to do it just because they can get it done between doing email and going to meetings because everybody, all, all anybody does, according to everybody I talk to, is go to meetings and do emails. Um, so let me, let me give you an example to start. Suppose one of the tasks out of, say, 100 in your project, and by the way, if you have somebody working on something that you think has 100 tasks in it, you better have them written down, uh, and therefore you've got a project manager, and it ought not to be you if you're the manager. Um, so there's a task that says email project manager and business sponsor draft project budget. And that's easy enough. And, and there's a lot of people tell me, well, Mark, that's not really two tasks, right? Because your project person can send the budget to both people simultaneously, right? But suppose when that task comes up a couple of weeks into the project being kicked off, says, what if you went to your project person and said, hey, dude, send it to me first. I want to scrub it before we send it on to the business. So is the task complete because he sent it, he or she sent it to you? I don't think so. What's the right status for that task if he sent it to you? I mean, you'd, you'd want him to be able to say, yeah, I've, I've actually drafted it. Okay. But essentially what you've done, by the way, is change the project plan, but that's okay. Um, is it wrong to call it green? Because the important part of it was the draft project plan. You're the one holding it up going to the, the business sponsor. 
in the spirit of the item, the project person has created the budget, should she be responsible for you holding it up? Aren't you the one making it red if it goes past the deadline? Okay, but then go further. What if you approve it with some small changes, but then your person sends it along to the business sponsor without copying you? Now he's done two tasks with different budgets. Didn't the first task imply that the same budget would be sent to both? Now you think this is nitpicking, but it's not because we see these things all the time. No. And then if you look at it, if you go back, let's say somebody is a project manager on your team and you go back later on and do an after action report, what went well, take a look at, and that task was read. Well, what happened? Yeah. Who was read? Like what, what part of the team, where, where did the process fall down? Well, that's one task. Who knows? It just- yeah. And, and everybody knows you were the one that held it up, but nobody's going to say, well, actually boss, I sent it to you and you held it up for a week. Right. Well, that must have meant it was not good. Yeah, that's a great after action <laughs> process. Right. Yeah. Or, or another example, send presenter and logistics person the training location and update the logistics data field. What if the training location was sent, but the logistics block wasn't updated? And actually, guys, interesting. Truth be told, this is from a manager tools internal project document, which I shook my head furiously. <laughs> uh, like, no, I can't believe we're doing this. It's a rookie mistake. Um, what is the status of the task? Which other tasks rely on it for rely on it for completion for action on them? You might say it's not done, but can you really fault your team member? Is it really red? And again, you could totally say these are quibbles and, and we, we respect that challenge. But if this is a project with 100 tasks and 10 to 15 of them, or likely many more of them are plural deliverables, what confidence do project team members have in the reported status of the project? And how important do you think project team members' re- confidence in the reported status is? I would say it's way more than most people realize. And how do we think projects go when people start assuming that the status that's available or reported is not good? It just, the the emotions of it is such that, oh, this one's red. I'm going to work somewhere else because that thing's never going to get off the ground. On the other hand, if everything's green, you're you're going, well, I can't can't be the guy that reports red. Let's take it a step further. Would you question the truthfulness of someone who marked a plural deliverable green or done when it wasn't? I mean, they sent it to the one person and the other person didn't forward it on or the other person didn't acknowledge that they had gotten it. But so maybe the first time you'd say, no, he's marketed green. It's good faith. Okay. He feels he's done it. But what if it happened two to three times on every project? And now let me add to it that this person's not your top performer. Now you've got a concern about truthfulness. And it's not a question of truthfulness. It's a question of you've asked somebody to do something, you've asked them to report on it publicly, and you've made it impossible for them to be clear in their status without annotating an email to everybody on the subtlety, which all the subtlety of what was done and what wasn't done and how why it's read because two-thirds of it is done but or nine-tenths of it is done, but one part isn't. And the one part that isn't done isn't done because the deliverable is plural. And it's nearly impossible for them to do that last step, even though it probably shouldn't be, and it's a matter of opinion. 
Are we really going to question someone's ethics because the deliverables themselves created opportunities for sloppiness or lack of clarity in reporting? I, I would think not. But the problem is not ethics. The problem is management and attention to detail. Look, as well, plural deliverables are much harder to measure. Uploading code to two different places, notifying two different people in different time zones, merging two tasks that are closely related but different, make it much harder to create reasonable deadlines for each of what should be two separate deliverables. And look, guys, I, I know it seems, you know, we, we encourage big picture thinking, but the solution to all this is more attention to detail about deliverables. It's making sure that the granular, atomic, value-creating idea of a project, tasks, and their accomplishment are absolutely pure and paid attention to. That you don't say, hey, here's a bunch of hydrogen. Oh, sorry, there's some oxygen mixed in. Hey, this is water. I, I don't want water. I had a guy tell me that once. Suppose I give you a bunch of hydrogen. And then I throw in a little oxygen. You know, I said, well, okay. How much oxygen? Yeah. Well, let's say 50%. Okay. Yeah, suddenly. I, I don't see that as a value add. Hey, but I gave you the oxygen for free. Yeah. So creating deliverables that only measure one thing, it reduces errors, it improves reporting, it increases confidence, and it increases project activity. And the smaller, the better. Okay. Plus, what's wrong with having two separately deadlined deliverables, even if those two tasks can be accomplished with one action? You get what you want, two things done, two people notified, two databases updated, a report in two places, and you reduce greatly the chances for misreporting, uncertainty, gray area, and so on. And look, it's probably unsexy to say this, but it gives the owner of the two deliverables the feeling of accomplishing two things as opposed to doing one half of a task and having it still red or green if they decide to do half and call it green. So that's why we say one deliverable, one task at a time owned by one owner, a single person who then also owns the input, because as our podcast sa says about owning the inputs, if you're responsible for a deliverable, you're responsible for the inputs necessary for your deliverable. Otherwise, the world is spinning wildly out of control in project management land. Yeah, this, this rule, no plural deliverables and breaking up tasks into smaller and smaller tasks with clear owners and deliverables, in my mind, is the single most important thing project managers can do and the most recurring thing that I see that is done incorrectly and it is it will yeah. kill a project yeah, and it's just easy to fix now a lot of people would take issue with Mike what Mike just said but what we find is this is the granular granular start of all the other problems that happen your deliverables are too big and they're too plural and you have to drive down to the individual actions you want done if you haven't already heard, folks, our second annual M conference is August 18th and 19th in Chicago this year. Uh, the first one sold out. We had 50 slots. We've 
figured out a way to go to 65 slots. Uh, we have eight of our 10 speakers already in place with some great backgrounds, and we're working with them now on their topics to make sure they're relevant, particularly for those managers who have been a manager for a little while and are thinking about making the transition to executive life. Um, and, and what does that mean in terms of greater scope of responsibilities, thinking outside of the organization, thinking about the economy, thinking about the globe? Um, things get more complicated as you get toward the top, and we thought we'd lend you a hand. Come to our website and check out the details on our M conference, August 18th and 19th, Chicago. Okay, and the next on the list, another thing follows inevitably, up. right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it does, right? If you if you load up a task with a bunch of ands, ors, there's lots of plurals in there, then they they tend to be long and big, and it yep. violates our next recommendation: no deliverables longer than a week. Yeah, deliverables that take longer than a week to accomplish are really a string of deliverables. Use the word tasks if you want, guys. Stay in the Stone Age if you like. Those are a string of deliverables that haven't been broken down yet. If your direct creates a project plan with lots of three to five to seven day plus long deliverables, that project is doomed. They're going to come in, look at their list of tasks, see the next one as being something that will take a while, and too often, even, you know, you know, almost always, I think some days, choose to do something shorter, simpler, more satisfying when they complete it. Part of the reason that email is such a problem, guys, is not that email is ever present. It's that it gives people a sense of satisfaction that there are 50 things to do. And even though they, take it, they, they think it's going to take an hour, they feel satisfied when they do one and two and three and four. Now, there are three of those 50 that they can't do, and those are frustrating, okay? And those are the ones they focus on. But the reason they're actually actioning email is not just because they're scared to death of not being on an email chain, because there are plenty of them that get on planes and, and are in cars and are not doing email and so on. Um, but actually, it's the sense of random satisfaction that occurs from checking things off your to-do list because rather than seeing it as doing email for half an hour, it's, I can do 50 things in this half hour. Wow. I feel useful. Yeah. Somebody asked me recently, well, what's, what's too small of a task? So the example we just did, uh, those of you not familiar with roadmap, um, you should become familiar with roadmap, but we just did, I don't know, a month and a half roadmap project. And I think the average deliverable was one and a half hours. Yeah. I would even argue that would be long for a lot of the things I do. I mean, send an email to somebody with, mm, the, yeah. with the document. You know, that, that's not an hour and a half to send an email. Okay. So look, I even go further. All of us have chosen suddenly to clean off our desk and check email right when we finally got the point got to the point in a project or whatever where our next action was to write a five page document which we knew was going to take hours and we didn't want to slay that dragon just now and so again we focus on small things we focus on c tasks rather than a tasks when you see that you can do any number of things depending upon your style your time the project and your directs behavioral tendencies. When you see week-long deliverables, you can send it back with a note saying, 
break these and highlight them down into tasks with deadlines of a day or less. Or you can take one of their tasks and turn it into a series of five or 10 tasks to show them what to do with the rest of their opus of tasks. You know, I joke about, about writing books. And if I think about writing a book, it just overwhelms me because I got a lot of other stuff to do. I got to write podcasts every week. I got all kinds of other stuff. I got to travel. And I found the only way I could do it is to give myself deliverables of less than chapters, literally less than chapters, pages. And books are important. And I'm on the hook for them. We're contractually obligated for books. And if you talk, if you say, oh, you got to write the book, uh, I am going to lose my mind. If you tell me I need five paragraphs, I can do that. That's all. Just, just five. Oh, I can do five. No problem. I'll do five. And then I'll stitch them together later. That's why so many writers say, I, you know, somebody asked, where do you get your inspiration? I can't, this is in um, uh, that book that you and I like so much, Mike, uh, The War of Art. And uh, writer, um, I'm forgetting his name, but a great book. And in it, one of the chapter headlines, there's a quote at the top of the chapter. And I think it says, you want to know where I get my inspiration? I sit down every morning at 9 a.m. to write. That's my inspiration. Uh, meaning it's a discipline. It's not about waiting around for the fates to tap you on the nose with their fairy wand. Yeah, Stephen Pressfield. It's yeah, he's it's it's worth reading if you ha- if folks if you haven't. Great book. Yeah. Um, look, I don't think I've ever said it this way before, but uh, we have been harping on short deliverables for years, and continue to share what our data tell us despite plenty of pushback. When we recommend shorter, smaller deliverables, the hue and cry that erupts says micromanagement, micromanagement. You know, we've even argued that David Allen in the great book, Getting Things Done, recommends focusing on one's next action, which is a similar concept. And daily scrum, which I would argue scrum and agile are a hugely important uh, improvement in management, obviously in the IT world in the last 25 years. Daily scrums have been preaching what's next and daily tasks for years now. Again, I keep saying it's, it's not sexy, but shorter, smaller, sooner deliverables are much more likely to be accomplished. What's better, a project plan full of long, complex tasks that irritate, confound, and that folks dread working on and which is late? Or a more detailed plan with more and shorter deliverables that gets done and some people claim is micromanaging? (laughs) I'm sorry. It's like that guy, the story that I read years ago of the earthquake that hit a school in the uh, the Balkans. And uh, uh, there was a tape put up around the school and they didn't know if there were any survivors in the rubble. And this man climbed over the tape and I'm going to start looking for my son. And he they're like, no, no, you can't, you know, you can't, you, 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 me, me, collapse it. You can't, you don't know, you can't. He says, I always, t- I told my son I'd always be here. And he turned and said, you're going to help me or not. I'm going to get something done, right? I'm going to do something. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to take an action. But if you tell somebody that there are 85 steps you have to accomplish before you actually get to do anything, and the one task is 85 different tasks, they feel like, gosh, I got to do 85 things. I just want to do one thing and I want to do one thing and one thing and one thing and one thing. And then suddenly I've built a yellow brick road. Um, As soon as your direct proves they can manage a project 
with detailed, short deliverables. Allow them to create, start using projects with longer deliverables. Okay, that's fine. But don't let somebody you're just teaching project management and deliverables and tasks. And heck, if you say deliverables to some, some individual contributors, they'll roll their eyes and go, what's that? As opposed to a task. Well, you have to define it. It's fine if you've got somebody who's experienced and you want to give them week-long tasks because they have the discipline, they've learned the discipline to follow up on themselves to not get behind. And by the way, if you have somebody who has a project with 51 week-long tasks and they don't accomplish it after five weeks, you've got to start shortening their tasks. That's how the world works. And if I have to micromanage you, if me micromanaging you is the way we get this important work done, you're going to be micromanaged. Because, I mean, you feeling micromanaged is not a defense for your inability to get things done. If the project plan is reasonable, if there's budget for it, if there's time, if, it's, if we've determined that it's useful, somebody feeling micromanaged, oh, I, I can't work today. I feel uncreative. <laughs> Really? That's a, that's a thing? You can be uncreative today, and so therefore you don't have to work? Yes, yes, I only do my best work when I'm creative. Oh, okay. Uh, you should go home then. Okay, thanks, boss. That'd be good. And I'll make sure that we don't pay you for today. Well, why? why? Because there, there are some rules. You don't get paid to do what you like. You don't get paid to do only when you feel good. In fact, we especially pay you to do this when you don't feel good. Well, you don't feel everything's lined up perfectly. Heck, if it lined up perfectly, perfectly all the time, we could pay people a lot less. So folks have to start somewhere. Shorter deliverables, singular deliverables, owned by a single person, step by step by step by step, boring and devastatingly good when it works. Okay, look, so I'm going to summarize. Guys, there's all kinds of cool tools and software for big, expensive projects. But basic small project management isn't getting taught today in 2020. That's because management doesn't get taught. So too many of us managers don't realize we're supposed to be teaching individual contributors how to manage projects. It's not enough to keep it in your head. You got to write it down. You got to report on it. It's not respect of someone else's feelings about how they want to do their work, to not teach them the basics of organizational life because we fear offending them. That's the difference between being nice, which is sugarcoating things, and being kind. And it's actually a kindness to your direct to say there's a better way to do that. And mankind has figured it out over the last 100 years, and you don't get to do it any way you want. You don't. You have to be willing to do something that's right in order to help someone grow to benefit the organization. Assign a project, make them do the hard work, edit, 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 so that you've got a plan that they can feel good about that's accomplishable day by day, and you'll really make a difference. Next time we talk about this, we're going to talk about reporting and communication in projects. Awesome. Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Well, that's good to hear. We'll leave you with yet another long-term licensee shout out. Patrick Wagner, thanks for being a member since, I say member, I should say licensee, since um, 2005, since the very, very beginning, and has been with us ever since for 15 years worth of having to listen to us talk about management. 
Patrick, we're thrilled. I know you and I have exchanged emails over the years. Um, thank you for being part of the community. And I know that you try to share us with others. Uh, and we tip our hat to you for that. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>